Um, I hope you saw the manger scene out front. Steve Draper said he lived on a farm all his life and never seen a manger that big ever. And uh, the reason we're in it is because we're in a, the reason it's out there is because we've started a brand new sermon series entitled King Size, uh, King Size Bed. And a thousand times throughout history, babies have been born and become kings, but only once in history did a king become a baby. And that's kind of the backdrop for our, our series that we're going through. We're going to talk about peace and joy and hope and love and life and light and It's just going to be a great time, and so we're going to kind of take the next few weeks and walk towards Christmas, telling the Christmas story to prepare our hearts what I think should be a a wonderful Christmas season, hopefully that has a bit more of a spiritual emphasis for you in your home and in your daily walk and as you think about life and stuff. So it's king-size bed. Now, even though we've got a king-size bed up there and we've got a king-size picture on the screen... And uh, we cleaned our computer, and anyway, something happened, and we've got to reshape. But the slide problem is it's not in your set. It's, it's something back in computerish stuff that I don't understand, and I don't want to understand. So don't come up and explain it to me afterwards, okay? Uh, their guys are working on it, and they're doing a great job. Thousands of people each year visit the Winchester Mansion in San Jose, California. Anybody ever been there, by the way? Have you? Oh, I need to talk to you. Tell me if this is I've never been there. It's just an incredible story to me. The massive structure was built by Sarah Winchester, the widow of the gun, of the gun company owner, the Winchester Company, for 38 years from 1884 until 1992. 38 years, the house was under constant construction. For 38 years, we moved into a home, and like my wife just always has these things for me to do renovation things and it's like I told her this week I said I'm drawing the line I said when it is like that we're done we're not spending another dime on the house just we're done she said we got to spend more I said we're done she said what do you mean I said we're done I can't imagine 38 years on the house she had Carpenters and masons and construction workers in her home 24 hours a day or almost around the clock. After her passing, people tried to figure out why she went to such extremes because the house had over 10,000 windows, staircases that led to blank walls, uh, doors that went nowhere. It's this kind of bizarre home. Some people think that uh, she was, she thought because she was haunted because of the weapons her gun had made by the people that they had killed, or the house was haunted. And so she thought that as long as the house was under construction, it would give her some degree of peace from the haunted souls of those killed by her husband's weapons. They say if you put that house Back in the 1880s and early 1900s, in our dollars today, that that house would be worth over $70 million. That must be some house. Here's a lady who was so vexed in her soul that she would do almost anything for 38 years, 160 rooms, steps that went nowhere, 10,000 windows, $70 million in today's Money in pointless construction, all in search for the desperate need 
of peace. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Would you not say that our world is in a desperate need of peace? And wouldn't you say that not only is the world, but I mean, if the world needs it, then you need it and I need it. In fact, wouldn't you just like to have a box of peace given to you for Christmas? You just open it up and you just slather peace all over you and you just kind of feel good. In our world, people turn to pleasure or drugs, alcohol, immorality, wealth, other dead-end avenues, like the scared cases that lead to nowhere in the men, Winchester Mansion pursuing peace never in that manner, never brings peace. We're going to look at the story of Mary today. And I'll be honest, I'm probably going to give it to you a little differently than you've ever heard it before. This is not going to be your typical Christmas card sermon, you know, where Mary gets this visit from the Lord. We're actually going to look at Scripture and see what Scripture has to say about it. But I think that as we turn there, you're going to find... That peace is generally not lost in one event. I think if you're here this morning and you're searching for peace because you have no peace, it may be a singular event, something on a really dramatic scale. But for the most part, for most of us, I think that losing our peace is is kind of a series of events. And then I think regaining our peace, reestablishing that peace in our lives is a series of events or a series of steps as well. And we'll kind of learn from that as we talk about Mary. Now, if you look at verse 26, here's what we know about Mary. She is a young teenager, all right? Yeah, how many 13-year-old teenagers we got over here? If you are 13, raise your hand. 13. Good night. 13 years old. If you were not married by 13, you were an old hag. I'm telling you, there was something... There was something wrong with you if you were not married by 13, 14 years old. 15 was kind of like pushing the envelope, but in Mary and Joseph's day, if you were 16 or older, if you're 16, 17, 18, right in this area, raise your hand. Let's see who you are. Yes, you guys are over the hill, man. I'm telling you, ain't nobody going to date you because you you are that girl. You know what I'm saying? Mary was probably 13 14, certainly no older than 50. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this happening to a 13-year-old in your home? I had three boys. And I'm telling you, if they came home and told me that, first of all, they were engaged at that age, one of them I would have been glad to get out of the house, but we'd have had a talk. And then if they would have said, now, Dad, I got something to tell you. She's pregnant. Now, you did what? No, I didn't do nothing. And he would go on to tell me this story. I go, yeah, we're going to go see Jeff Caldwell, get you straightened out right now, you know. She's young. She's a virgin. She's not sexually promiscuous. She's engaged to Joseph. She comes from a great family lineage. She lives in Nazareth, which is not necessarily a a wealthy town, which there were wealthy parts, and it wasn't necessarily an impoverished town. It was just a average town of her day. Her life was just kind of moving along. She had plans. She was engaged. She was working on her wedding. She had dreams of of a life in front of her. Then the angel Gabriel shows up. Look at verse 26, 27. It says this, and and the verses come out of the the New English 
translation of the Bible. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city. Now, Gabriel shows up. He's one of the, the angels that appeared to us in the Bible. Matter of fact, this is his third appearance in the Bible. And he came in his first appearance. He came to Daniel in Daniel chapter 8. If you want to flip there, it's really kind of cool because Daniel's this great man of God, mighty prophet, prays, you know, three times a day, faces Jerusalem. I mean, just wonderful man of God, survived the lion's den. And yet it's after all of that that he is, he has this vision and God sends Gabriel to Daniel to interpret the vision. So in chapter 8 and verse 15, Gabriel's appearance was that of a man, but it was so probably intimidating. Daniel said in verse 17, gives us the impression that it's terrifying. And it's so terrifying that Daniel falls on his face at his sight. In fact, Daniel 8.27 tells us that for many days later, he was sick from the experience. We might call it even trauma of having this angelic appearance to him and so when i say that abriel or that gabriel appeared to him i don't want you to think about you know the the old guy on it's a wonderful life i don't want you to get the clarence picture all right i don't want you to get the 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 sweet little childlike face with the curly hair and the the little set of wings just kind of flutter we're never told that gabriel flew anywhere he just appeared Stately, elegant, majestic, originally created as a a singular creative act of God. He stands there. The angel shows up. And some of you, you just go, you know, Lord, just just show me an angel. I'm not sure you want to see one like this. I think it would terrify you just like it did Daniel. So Mary's doing her thing on a normal day, doing her normal stuff, and Gabriel shows up. This unannounced, unplanned, unscripted intruder shows up most likely in her home and says, Greetings. Joe Wilson loves scaring Wanda Panduke to death. Wanda's our office manager, and he will go to great lengths to try. Can you imagine you're sitting there, you're doing your thing. Maybe you're, maybe you're making clothes or you're, or you're chafting the wheat, and all of a sudden, this angelic being appears and goes, greetings. And all of a sudden, every nerve and muscle in you just goes to high alert because you thought you were alone. Now somebody goes, greetings. By the way, the word greeting is a normal customary greeting which communicates the intention of well-wishing or well-wishes to the friend that they're with. He says, greetings. Gabriel went on to say, you're highly favored and the Lord is with you. Now, a lot of people have kind of read that and they said, oh, this means that God looked the whole world over and Mary was at the top of the list. God may have looked the whole world over and Mary may well have been the top of the list, but that's not what the phrase means. The phrase means highly favored. The language means to grace to bestowed upon. In other words, Mary, you're about to have something happen to you. You're about to have 
God's grace favorably bestowed on you. You're going to become a recipient of God's freely bestowed beneficial will. Gabriel is saying, Mary, you're good, but God's greater. And this great God is about to do something in your good world that is so out of this world that it will forever change the world. Mary's life at this moment is not peaceful. Amen? Oh, you can amen that. You go home this afternoon. You sit down to watch the Lions and the Ravens. Hopefully the Lions will win, but we couldn't even implode the Silver Dome this morning. And so you go and you just about the time you relax, you look over. Instead of seeing your wife in a kitchen, you see an angel sitting in a chair. Don't you tell me your nerves will not get electrified. You will go into high alert. You will go into panic mode. I mean, peace was gone. Matter of fact, look at verse 29. Verse 29 gives you some insight into what Mary was feeling. Mary, but she was greatly troubled. She was greatly troubled. Trouble. It didn't say she was greatly comforted. She wasn't running, the house, running around the house going, Hallelujah, an angel of the Lord has come to me. She is greatly troubled. The phrase greatly troubled carries the idea that Mary was troubled to an extraordinary extent or degree. This goes beyond being concerned, beyond being troubled. She was agitated in an extravagant way in a very, very, very distressing manner. She was greatly bothered. Peace had unraveled in her world. I don't know what you're greatly distressing over this morning. I don't know if it's a relationship. I don't know if it's school, finances. I don't know if it's just the stress of the holidays or your job. But she was greatly troubled. And then the Bible says, if you keep reading verse 29, and, and then it said that she wondered, and this is out of the NIV, but that she wondered. She wondered. Now I know sometimes we use that word wonder and think of wonderment, and he is the God of wonders, and it just kind of fills our soul. The word wonder here is the Greek word that talks about that an internal debate of the soul she is debating she's trying to connect the dots she's trying to put all this together that there is something in her home otherworldly in her in her earthly home she's trying to figure it all out and he's sitting there going greetings Mary you're highly favored among all the women God's got a special plan for you she does not know at this point in time Matter of fact, the next verse tells us she, she was trying to figure out the whole kind of the sword, or verse 29, what kind of sort of greeting this might be. Mary wasn't sure if, if this was going to be a time of blessing or a time of death. She didn't know if, if he was going to do good or if he was going to kill her. He, she did not know. She is trying to connect. She's having this internal debate, and any time... You lack peace. I'm telling you, there's an internal debate goes on in your soul. 
Now, you can internally debate and have peace. I'm just saying it might be an indicator that you don't have peace. Mary, life was not peaceful now. Mary's life, which was peaceful before this moment, is now not peaceful. Sometimes I think that some of us think that if God shows up, it's going to be like winning the lottery. And all of our problems are going to be gone and and, and life is going to be so easy and there are going to be no more challenges. There are going to be no more obstacles. It's just going to be, woo, things are good. Thank you, Jesus. Please know Mary's life got complicated because God showed up. Does that make any sense? Mary's life got complicated because God showed up. So now, you can either look at God's interruption as an aggravation or an invitation. Mary's heart was troubled. She needs peace, and peacefulness doesn't come all at once. And peace in our heart usually is not a single event. And getting peace in our heart is usually not a single event, but a series of events. So let's just walk through the biblical narrative, and let's see the steps that Mary took. To regain the peace. From from being a troubled, you know, having a troubled heart at the beginning. Having this internal debate going on at the beginning of the text. To what seems to be apparent peace at the end of the text. There's five things. I hope you write them down. I'm going to give you five things. Only the verses are going to come up on the screen. But I'll give you five things and you can write the verses. from the First thing, Mary trusted in the word of God. Mary simply trusted in God's word. She could not make sense of the angel. She could not make sense of the story. She could not even make sense of the theology the angel was giving. But she trusted God's word. Look at verse 30. Verse 30 says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. (laughs) Aren't you glad of that? A stranger comes in your home and says, Don't be afraid. I think that would make me more afraid. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord will give him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And all of his kingdom there will be no end. There were no angels singing. There were no hallelujah choruses. This was not the shepherd experience and heart the herald angels sing. The house was quiet. The internal debate going on here. If Daniel was terrified in Daniel chapter 8, she certainly had some hesitation and reservation. So she asked a question. By the way, peace does not mean the absence of questions. Mary simply is asking a question. She said, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She's going to listen, I am not sexually active at all. You know? She says, Gabe, I don't sex text and all Snapchat and all that other kind of stuff. I don't do any of that. What are we talking about? How can this be? And it's funny because his response is so... And I don't, you know, it is so, his bedside manners were lousy. Here's this 13, 14 year old girl. And he gives this theological answer trying to describe 
the immaculate conception. And here's his response. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born. You will call, he will be called holy. Or he will be called Jesus the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, and blah, 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 blah. It goes on. So that's it. And then all of a sudden he talks about Elizabeth. <laughs> Can you imagine? I don't care about Elizabeth. Would you tell me how this is going to happen to me? You're going to be overshadowed with this, with the Most High. Hey, listen. You can be an ardent believer in Jesus Christ, passionately devoted and following him, and still have questions, and God's okay with that. He is all right with your internal debate. He's all right with this idea of trying to figure it out. Verse 35 gives a theological description of the immaculate conception. But where I believe she got hung up on was verse 37. Verse 37 says, and I like a different translation better, a couple of translations, the New International Version and others translate this word, no word of God will ever fail. He's going on about all these issues in life and and Gabriel says, listen, in essence, don't worry about the shadow of the Most High overshadowing you and and the son being born, just just know that the word of God will never fail. And all of a sudden, things became simplified. Not simple, but simplified. Am I going to trust this messenger of God, or do I trust me? Now, I don't know about you, but that's where most of my issue of do I have peace or do I not have peace stems from. Am I going to trust me or am I going to trust the Lord? Do I trust my word or do I trust his word? Do I trust what I can do or do I trust what only God can do? And so we have this this dynamic going on. Number two, Mary said yes to God's word. Look at verse 38. Verse 38 said, and Mary said, behold, I am thy servant of the Lord and let it be according to your word. It's in a phrase of a formal agreement. She said, here I am, use me. She said, yes. The, the debate, we're not sure if it was over. Peace, we don't know if it returned in this moment. But we do know, she said, here I am. Use me. Use me. The third thing I want to throw out at you very quickly is that Mary surrounded her with the right kind of friends. Verses 39 through 44, and and the scriptures will just kind of scroll up on the screen. All I want to just kind of point out here is that Mary went to Elizabeth. Elizabeth was a cousin, maybe a distant cousin, but she was a cousin. And Elizabeth's husband was Zechariah. He was a priest and worked in the temple and served the Lord there. And so they had a, a nicer place. And so they had room to take in Mary And Elizabeth was an older woman. Now, you got to understand that older woman is not the same as older woman in our day. Probably older woman meant she was about 30, 32. I think that's awful stinking young these days. 
and they wanted to have a child so bad, but they could never. And now she got pregnant well past, you know, maybe even childbearing years or maybe something had been wrong with them medically. And But now she's pregnant. And so Mary almost goes immediately to Elizabeth's home and stays with her three months. She tells Joseph. That's an interesting conversation, isn't it? You ever wonder if Mary had morning sickness? At what month she got her baby bump? At what month she felt the baby kick? And I wonder if in that moment she took another huge step of faith and went, there really is something to this. She went to Elizabeth's house, and there for three months they shared life together. In fact, when she showed up, and you can read it in the narrative, when she showed up and knocked on the door and Zechariah let her in, Elizabeth was either in the back of the room or another room, but John the Baptist, that was their baby boy inside Elizabeth, leapt for joy. Now, she probably had felt the baby kick before, but this was a different kind of activity or, or you know, church gymnastics thing going on inside her belly there. And the baby was leaping for joy because the Son of God, the Messiah of the Jews, and the Savior of the world had entered the room in the womb of this precious virgin girl named Mary. And they would talk about life together. They would talk about what God is doing. They would talk about the possibilities and, and seeing God. She would share the story of what happened to Zechariah, how he didn't really believe that they were going to have a baby, and so he doubted and he lost his voice and wouldn't regain it again until John the Baptist was born. I mean, they just shared and lived life together. They would talk about spiritual truths and spiritual matters. I'm simply telling you that you have to go through life with some friends that you can talk spiritual truth with. Wise, godly men and women who understand, know God's word, that you can pour into them, they can pour into you. Iron sharpened the iron. It's a rich, fulfilling relationship, not wrapped around your children, not wrapped around your, your interests, not wrapped around vacations, not wrapped around a whole lot of other things, but wrapped around what God is doing in your life, their life, and your all's life as you live life together. The problem is our, our culture, even though there's more and more people on this earth than ever before, now over 7 billion billion people we're getting so isolated and so lonely they tell us that america is one of the loneliest nations on the planet can you imagine we don't go visit one another anymore we don't have time so we email well that's passe now so we text well that takes too long to do a text so we twitter well, that even 144 or 142 characters, that's even too long, so now we emoji. If a picture's worth a thousand words, well, hey, I just wrote you a novel. And we live in a world, and Christians, and pe- I'm telling you, everyone in this room, you are not immune. You can have... And I've had people tell me they've got 2,000, 3,000 people on their Facebook, but they feel so desperately alone. 
Mary surrounded herself with the right kind of friends. And then Mary worshipped. Please notice she did not worship when the angel was in the room. No praises ascended to heaven. It was one question and then a declarative statement. I am thy servant. I will trust in the word of God. Again, there were no hallelujah choruses. We can assume now we're three and a half, four months, maybe even four and a half months down the road from that angelic experience. There has been no angelic experience since. Matter of fact, nowhere else in the Bible will you ever read that an angel appeared again to Mary. It appears to Joseph. It appears to Joseph in a dream after Christ is born. She never sees She never sings a song of praise, but now down the road, she worships. And you can read Mary's Magnificent, and it is laced with Old Testament theology. She knew her Bible. Her Bible was the Old Testament. She knew her Bible. I mean, you read it. She takes you through the Abrahamic covenant. She takes you through the Davidic covenant. She proclaims the faithfulness and the love and the holiness of God. I mean, she touches all the bases. Rising up nations and causing nations to fall and the, uh, you know, and, the, and the captivities of Israel. I mean, she covers it all. She is, and she sings, she worships. She worships. And I don't know if she was feeling it yet. Two weeks ago, uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I, I talked about just a little bit more in my own personal journey with my father who has Alzheimer's. And I, I talked about and led off the sermon by saying that it's Thanksgiving and I'm thankful, but I don't feel thankful. And I've had many conversations about people who are thankful or people who love God or people who want to serve God, but they don't feel peaceful. They don't feel worshipful. They don't feel, they feel thankful, but they are thankful. They are worshipers. They are followers of Christ. Please understand, Mary has put no emphasis on her emotions. She says, I will trust in God's word. She knew her Bible. I will trust in God's word. The angel said the words of God will never fail. Mary knew that from the Old Testament. And so she worshiped. She worshiped. I'm convinced if you wait to feel it before you do anything for God, the vast majority of us would never get off the spiritual couch and do anything for God. Mary chose to listen to God's word, say yes to God's word, surround herself with the right kind of people. And then she worshiped, she sang. And then finally, Mary kept going. Look at verse 56. What did she do? The Bible tells us that and Mary returned. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, three months and then returned home. She walked by faith, in faith, believing God's word. Peace at some level had come to the degree where she went back home, now pregnant, with a baby bump. Right? She got a little, this is not a baby bump. This is turkey and apple pie and ice cream. But she goes back home with some degree of peace back. So that when the women would gossip in the mornings when she would go to the well to gather the water, 
she would go, blessed be the name of the Lord. When she would go to the market, and people would glare and look, and yeah, that's Mary, that's the one who the angel got her pregnant. She kept going. Trying to explain this incredible story to her mom, to her dad, to Joseph, even to Elizabeth and Zechariah. To try to explain it maybe to others and then finally just hiding it in her heart and just saying, you know, we're just going to let God work all of this out and God will get the glory. She just kept going. She didn't quit. You know, it's here sometimes that we learn that peace has a partner. And I think a lot of times peace partners, not only God's word, obedience, friends, worship, but I think there's another partner. I think it's perseverance. I think it's the fact that you just keep going. Whether you feel it or not, you just keep going. You, you keep serving. You keep loving. You keep worshiping. You, you, you keep going. Not out of hypocrisy, but as genuine as your heart could be in those moments, you do it. You do it. Perseverance is the work of returning home to trust God for his peace as you live in the world today. Wouldn't you like to have a box of peace under your Christmas tree this season? But I don't think there's such a thing. Sustaining lifelong peace, except that it's connected to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There is much in this world to make us afraid and full of unrest and lack of peace. But there is much more in our faith to make us unafraid and peaceful and confident in what God wants to do in our lives. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes for just a moment?